0: This is Kick-Ass Politics. I'm Ben Mathis. You've got mail. Remember that sound? Long before Google or Amazon or Skype, those three little words were our first introduction to the whole idea of a worldwide Web. It was the brainchild of Steve Case, the co-founder and former CEO of America Online. In the very earliest days of the Internet, he anticipated that many people might view the concept of communicating through a computer as, well, impersonal. So he decided to add a welcoming voice to greet users and let them know when they received an email. It just so happened that one of his customer service team members had a husband who did voiceovers, and the rest, as they say, is history. Under Steve Case's leadership, AOL handled nearly half of all internet traffic at its peak and drove the worldwide adoption of a medium that has transformed business and society. AOL was the top performing company of the 90s and the very first internet IPO. And in 2000, Steve negotiated the largest merger in business history between the media giant Time Warner and the company he started. After retiring as chairman of AOL Time Warner, Steve Case co-founded the D.C.-based investment firm Revolution, where as chairman and CEO, he partners with the next generation of entrepreneurs to build businesses such as Zipcar, Sweetgreen, and others. He also fosters entrepreneurship through President Obama's Startup America partnership, and the Case Foundation, which uses the Internet and entrepreneurial approaches to strengthen society. In case you can't tell, entrepreneurship is kind of a big thing with Steve Case. He's written about it in his new book, Third Wave, An Entrepreneur's Vision of the Future. In it, he envisions what he calls the third wave of the Internet's evolution, in which the so-called Internet of Things becomes the Internet of Everything. In other words, the Internet is going to be so ingrained in every aspect of our lives that we won't even use the word Internet anymore. Today, Steve Case will talk about the business sectors that stand to benefit the most in the third wave and the key factors that will separate the successful startups from the failures. He'll explain why entrepreneurs in the third wave may have to accept that government will play a larger role in the next tech boom and why disruptive industries won't necessarily spring up in Silicon Valley, but all over the country in places like Nashville, Detroit, and Kansas City. He'll reminisce about the early days of the Internet and the lessons learned as he took AOL from an idea that no one even knew they wanted to the biggest merger in history. Coming up with Steve Case in just a moment.
1: Hollywood to Washington, it's time for Kick-Ass Politics. And now here's your host, Ben Mathis.
0: I'm joined today by Steve Case. He's the co-founder and former CEO of America Online and former chairman of AOL Time Warner. These days, he's chairman and CEO of Revolution, a venture capital firm that's funding the startups of what he calls the third wave of the internet. He talks about it in his new book, Third Wave, An Entrepreneur's Vision of the Future. Steve Case, thanks for joining me. Great to be with you. Well, I enjoyed the book, and you didn't want to write just a regular old memoir. Right. And this is, as you say, part memoir, part manifesto, and part playbook for the future. The title is a nod to the futurist Alvin Toffler, who was the one who described kind of the three waves of societal evolution, the agrarian economy, then the Industrial Revolution, and then he described the third wave, which was going to be the age of technology that we're in right now. Now, you apply this term to the Internet. So explain what are the three
1: phases or waves of the Internet? Sure. But first, I, I should say I read that Alvin Toffler book, The Third Wave, when I was a senior in college in 1980, I was completely mesmerized by it. It really kind of, he talked about what we now think of as the internet, but but 36 years ago when when that book came out, it was still very futuristic. uh, And the notion of an electronic cottage and new ways to connect to people and access information I just thought his vision was very compelling, so that's that's really the path I've been on for nearly four decades now. Uh, after after reading that book, so I did, when I decided to finally write a book, uh, I decided to kind of you know give a nod to Toffler for inspiring me and uh, opened the book with sort of that, that the stories of how that that uh, you know that how impactful that book was for me. Uh, as you say, the Toffler view of the three waves was sort of the agriculture revolution, then the industrial revolution, then the technology revolution. Yeah, you know, my my focus of the three The three waves is more internet-centric. And really, the first wave of the internet was building the infrastructure, uh, getting everybody connected. The second wave was building apps and services on top of the internet. And the third wave, which is really just beginning, uh, is integrating the internet in more seamless and pervasive ways throughout throughout our lives. Uh, And the reason I decided to finally write a book, people have talked to me over the years about wanting to write something about this or something about that, is I realized that the third wave that's just beginning to develop is going to be quite different than the second wave, uh, but actually somewhat similar to some of the dynamics in the first wave. And that really led me to be able to write a book that's mostly about the future but does tell some of the you know the stories of uh, of those early days of of the internet. You know, it seems crazy now, but when we started AOL, well, it, was, it was 31 years ago in 1985. Yeah. And only 3% of people were online, and they're only online <laughs> one hour a week. So it was pretty early days, and we said we wanted to get America online, get the world online. You know, that it took a while. It took us really a decade, but that's really defined not just AOL, well, but but Cisco and, and uh um, Microsoft and IBM and, and many other companies were all sun were part of that kind of first wave. Uh building the software, building the networks, building the servers, essentially building the foundation, building the on ramps, and then educating people why they should, you know, should get connected. That really was sort of the consumer internet, sort of 1985 to 2000, that was sort of the, the yeah. key, and that then set the stage for this app economy. We've seen the second wave of Twitter and Facebook and Waze and Snapchat, mostly apps uh, that have been riding on top of the internet, uh, and that's had a profound impact on our our lives as well. Uh, but third wave really is a, is the next big leap, and it's going to change how we think about healthcare and education and energy and transportation, foods and big sectors of our economy and frankly important aspects of our lives so that's that's what led me to write the book and as you said it's a it's a little bit of a memoir uh but also a little bit of a manifesto and also a little bit of a playbook in terms of how people can think about the future
0: you know i can still remember when i was growing up aol being the only game going yeah we 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 like that that.
1: millennials don't even
0: realize that there was a time when the internet was aol right for all practical purposes
1: particularly particularly in the uh the 90s uh you know, mid mid to late 90s, uh, about half of all the internet traffic in the United States went through AOL. And it was a mix of of services, some that were unique and exclusive to AOL, but also an on-ramp to the full full internet. So we used to talk about it being the internet and a whole lot more. And we talked about it being you know, so easy to use, no wonder it's number one. <laughs> Those were some of the, you know, the taglines that uh, we had. And yeah, you know, the AOL really did play an important role in, in, in educating people about the internet and, and connecting people, you know, to the internet and a lot of the features that we launched now 25, 30 years ago, like instant messaging and body lists, things like that, are now pretty significant parts yeah. of people's lives across a whole variety of, of services and, and devices. We've gone from being mostly about the PC in the first wave to mostly about phones in the, in the second wave, but the services, particularly those communications features, what we call uh, community services, now we think of them more as social you know, uh, services, uh, have always been a pretty fundamental part of the medium.
0: Yeah. And it's funny because throughout the first part of the book, much of it feels like I'm watching the, the second season of Halt and Catch Fire,
1: <laughs> and,
0: you know, because you see how you were evolving and no one had ever done this. And right. you guys trying to convince people that there was actually a market for communicating sure. over the Internet. And along the road to AOL, you experienced some bumps along the way with previous ventures that would eventually lead to AOL. And I think there are some instructive moments in there about being flexible and agile and being able to pivot and adjust to changing situations. Talk about that. As it might be useful in the third wave,
1: no, I think that's true. I, I, we learned a lot in that in that first wave that that's, you know sometimes revolutions happen in evolutionary ways, and and you can you have to keep your eye on the prize, your kind of your eye on what you're trying to accomplish. In our case, just trying to you know, make the internet part of everyday life, uh, but be more flexible and nimble, and as you say, agile in terms of how you. Pursue that because sometimes things you think are going to work aren't going to work. Sometimes partnerships you think are going to be transformative end up blowing up and, and you're not able to, you know, kind of capitalize on them. So we had a punch of that. The first venture I joined uh, when I moved to the Washington, D.C. area in, in 1983, it seemed like a good idea, but failed. And and so it looked like a kind of disaster. But two of the people I met there, you know, Mark Seraph and Jim Kimsey, I ended up starting AOL two years later in 1985. So out of that, kind of disaster, you know, came something you know better. And it took us, you know, really better part of a decade to for, to take the idea of AOL and turn it into a significant business. And there are a lot of kind of fits and starts, kind of two steps forward, one step back. And I talk obviously about some of those in, in, in the book. But I think that is a, a lesson for entrepreneurs as they think about the, you know, the third wave. The, the first wave was hard because you had to get all these partnerships together, you had to, you know, pull all the pieces together, you had to get modems built into PCs, you had to get communications costs reduced. Cause when we first started it was about ten dollars an hour to get connected. Uh, a lot of different challenges, you just had to kind of whack away at those challenges, and eventually you know things started getting traction. I think in the third wave it 's going to be similar it 's going to be hard to revolutionize healthcare it 's complicated mm-hmm. it 's going to be hard to change how classroom learning happens it 's complicated and the other sectors energy food so forth these are complicated things they 're going to take some time and, and, and so some of that those lessons around perseverance that we we learned kind of the hard way, I guess in the first wave. <laughs> Uh, I think are going to become important for innovators who are, are thinking about taking on some of these challenges in the third way.
0: Yeah. And I have to imagine that it was probably very hard for you when you've put so much energy into one game plan to then go in a completely different direction and to recognize that, (laughs) that that you got to cut your losses and, you know, and there's opportunity there, there's opportunity and defeat in one area might present an opportunity elsewhere what was it that's that aha moment for you when you were young and starting out where you would realize, okay, you know, take a breath, step back. Well, There's I, I do I do think here.
1: that it goes back to that reading of the Toffler book uh, when I was in college. I think that, that kind of set a, a, a path for me, kind of set a, you know, something to aim for. The idea of trying to get everybody online, trying to create this digital new world, trying to make the internet part of everyday life really was what was driving me. And I just kind of kept it and and uh, didn't view th- challenges as kind of permanent setbacks, but simply kind of barriers to you know work through. And and, and our team you know, had the similar kind of you know, perspective. They you know, they really believed in the idea and just recognized, you know, you, you, know, you just kind of kind of keep going. You just you know it, it just you just sometimes the things you think are going to work just don't work. And but you, if you give up, then you're not going to have the opportunity to change the world. Yeah. It, it requires you know, kind of uh, perseverance and, you know, I, I, the, the evidence that the people who actually did get connected, who were part of, yeah, well, they loved it. And, you know, so we, we, we realized if we could figure out a way to make it easier to use and more useful and more fun and more affordable, uh, that eventually we could break through it, you know, but it was going to take some, uh, uh, some, some time.
0: Well, You talk about uh, the the second wave being the internet of things, Mm -hmm. which I almost get tired of hearing at this point. (laughs) You say that if the second wave was the internet of things, then the third wave is going to be the internet of everything to the point that we probably won't even say the word internet. It'll just be ingrained. It'll be in everything. What are the sectors that you see as being transformed in the third wave of the internet?
1: Well, pretty much everything. I mean, if you think about the first and second wave, it's amazing how much progress we've made in, in taking the idea of the internet and making it part of everyday life. Uh, and it's changed in pretty profound ways, certain aspects of our lives. can really disrupted in big ways, the communications industry, the media industry, things like that. Uh, but I would argue that most of the things that we care most about in our lives, like how do we stay healthy or or how do we... Educate our kids, or how do we, you know, kind of be smart about moving around cities in terms of transportation systems, smart cities, things like that. Uh, How do we think about interesting new ways within the financial sector to reach out to people who are unbanked and don't really have access to, you know, credit and things like that? There's a lot of things that are actually pretty, pretty important that haven't changed that much in the first wave. Or or second wave. I think it's are going to change a lot in the third wave. But the, again, the reason I ri- wrote the book was I think it's going to require a different, different mindset and a different playbook. The second wave, to a large extent, was about software. It was about apps. Uh, and the big successes, you know, figure out a way, whether, again, be Instagram or Snapchat or you name it, to create an interesting app that got virally adopted and and then suddenly went from a little idea to a big company virtually overnight. Uh, and the you know, the third wave, it's going to, of course, the software is going to be, be important. Of course, the internet is going to be important, but it's how it gets connected with the rest of our lives. How do you actually take that and make it useful so teachers use it in classrooms? How do you, you figure out better ways for doctors to help us with chronic diseases or, or life-threatening diseases with more kind of precision you know, kind of medicine? These are hard problems, and it's going to require uh, this different uh, mindset and a different uh, playbook. and. Perseverance uh, is going to be part of it. You know, partnerships are going to be part of it. You know, having strategic partners, I think, are going to be critical. And policy is going to be you know, you know part of it. You know, these are regulated sectors, and understanding that and figuring out a way to be constructive around you know, engaging with governments uh, around some of these issues are going to be uh, important as well. So, I think there's a lot of opportunity for innovation, uh, and much of that will come from the small companies, the startups. Some of it's going to come from the big companies. I think they have assets that they can leverage in the third wave. Uh, if they're nimble, if they're agile, and if they figure out a way to not just innovate within their company, but innovate around their company, kind of build a network around their company, including partnering with the with the entrepreneurs. So that's why I think it's just a different mindset in this third wave.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that you talk about being key is speed. Right. And always looking in the rearview mirror for who's coming up behind you. And it seems like we're almost at a point of hyper speed, you know, right. in, the, in the days of Coca-Cola, you would have a You'd good amount coming, of lead right. time, and you would be aware of your enemies coming up behind you. But nowadays, it seems like the next competitor could come out of nowhere, and it could be in a matter of a couple of months.
1: Yeah, so, I, think, I think that's true. And I, you saw some really interesting things in, in the second wave. For example, uh, Airbnb is now the largest hospitality provider right. in, in, in the world. They didn't exist yeah. 10 years ago. Uh, and they don 't even own any hotel rooms that 's kind of weird. <laughs> Uber is now the largest transportation company they don 't own cars amazon 's the largest retailer. they actually don 't have stores facebook 's the largest media company they actually don 't create content so it 's really interesting in, 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 to see how this has played out over the this last decade in, in the second wave, and it 's going to be similar in the in the, in the third wave. Is there big opportunities for uh, for change, but it's going to require a bit more more of this you know mindset some of the things though are going to take longer it's actually going to mm-hmm. you know take longer to to, to and require more perseverance to be successful because of the systems challenges that some of these sectors have, like yeah. healthcare or or the school system it's not just about dropping the app in the app store. it's much <laughs> more complicated uh, so real re- will require more you know patience and perseverance, but that's not to say that the big incumbents can't get complacent because they might get a surprised a decade ago, Apple wasn't in the music business now they're the leader, you know, yeah. Google wasn't in the phone business now they're a leader, so these 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 things can 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 come out of nowhere and surprise you
0: and one of the examples that you bring up in here that I think is instructive for the third wave is you talk about uh, a point where a o l kind of pulled a fast one on your competitor prodigy right and <laughs> took a lot of their customers and it was about a year before they even knew what was happening.
1: Uh, talk about
0: what you did there.
1: Well, Prodigy was a, was a service uh, launched, I guess, 20, 25 years ago as a partnership. That's right, for IBM. anyone who does it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> IBM like, and Sears. It's, it's must funny have, that must we have, have to, to tell problem. people. Prodigy? What's a <laughs> Prodigy? Uh, but uh, it was uh, IBM and Sears, two great American companies, basically uh, did a joint venture to try to be the leader in the consumer internet. Uh, launched a service called Prodigy, spent $1 billion to, to, to launch it. It's incredible. Um, and we were a little, little company. We had raised one million dollars in our first round of financing, so it was uh, we, we knew we couldn't kind of win in any kind of head-to-head combat. So we had to be clever and kind of have a more of a you know kind of guerrilla tactics. You know? And uh, one of them was uh, Prodigy decided to sell essentially sponsored email, which is you know people this is before you know, things like that became popular. They basically said we need to generate some additional revenue. We're going to sell. You know, email access to our customers, uh, and so we approached some salesperson at Prodigy and said we'd like to buy some, you know, some of those emails <laughs> to basically promote AOL to the Prodigy customers, and and they because they were eager, that particularly sales executives eager to. to Did you approach make them
0: as AOL, yeah. or was
1: there a shell
0: company or no, something? No, no, we approached them as really, AOL, you, you but came we as AOL. No, we and, we
1: positioned it as you know we were more a complementary service. They were focused ah, on things okay. like commerce. Uh, we were focused on things like community. And so we said, you know, your customers would also be interested in some of our features. Now, they realized after about a year that, A, that some of the things we're offering are pretty popular and they needed to offer them as well. And, and B, it was kind of dumb for them to spend all that money marketing. They spent hundreds of millions of dollars marketing, and we spent a few million dollars kind of, kind of stealing away some of their, their 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 best customers. So we knew it wouldn't last forever, but it lasted for a year. And I think it was a reminder to me that sometimes large companies – uh, because they're 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 so vast, uh, just aren't aren't as thinking about the future, aren't quite yeah. as agile, aren't quite as you know flexible, and sometimes little companies can kind of take advantage of that. You know, the, the, there is a little bit of a David and Goliath aspect to it, and the the Goliath you know nature of some of this is a little scary because these are big powerful companies. Uh, but they're also, you know, like in the David and Goliath story, their weaknesses, you know, comes their their strength, which is their bulk, and sometimes that can be used against them. And that was a case where we were able to capitalize on, on you know, Prodigy being this giant company and not really paying attention to what we were doing off on the on the side. And frankly, until it was too late, And we quickly were bigger than they were. And after a few more years, they basically went out of business.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring that up because you say that the third wave will not necessarily be the exclusive domain of startups. By its very nature, the third wave lends itself to legacy companies like, say, Kraft or Ford, if they're smart enough and fast enough to take advantage of it. What are some of the factors that will separate the big lumbering dinosaurs from the companies that are able to evolve and thrive in the third wave?
1: Well, the key is really having leadership that's leaning into the future, thinking about the future. As companies get larger, they tend to To shift from kind of being these attackers, these disruptors, these innovators, to being more the defenders, the protectors. They're really more focused on managing what's there as opposed to maximizing what might be possible. And of course they'd rather grow faster as opposed to slower, but they mostly want to protect what they what they have. It's sort of in sports, there's a concept of when you have a lead, you're going to like the protect defense. And and big companies tend to kind of be executing that protect defense. And sometimes that works, but sometimes it doesn't work. And sometimes you need to be more focused on on where things are going and, and do it with more agility and more urgency. A great example I mentioned in the book is the story of Eastman Kodak. It's you know when I was a kid, it was, Kodak was one of the great American companies, really iconic, really owned photography. You thought of photography, you thought of Kodak, um, and they eventually you know, eventually went bankrupt. And the reason they went bankrupt is because of digital photography, not not surprisingly. Uh, but what's surprising is that Kodak engineers actually invented digital photography. It was their idea, right. but they the leadership didn't you know focused on it enough, didn't invest in it enough. Uh, were kind of coasting on the laurels of their their core business, selling prints and chemicals and stuff. Uh, And so they didn't really want to see digital photography take off, so they didn't invest heavily. And eventually others did, and they got left behind. So I think that's a a lesson for big companies, that just because you're big now doesn't mean you'll be big tomorrow. You've got to continue to focus on the future, and you've got to focus on partnering with people that are helping to create that future.
0: Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back to talk more with Steve Case author of Third Wave, An Entrepreneur's Vision of the Future. If you're interested in my conversation with Steve Case, then you'll enjoy his new book, The Third Wave, An Entrepreneur's Vision of the Future. And right now, you can download the audio version of this book for free with a special promotion just for our listeners from audible.com just go to audibletrial.com backslash kickasspolitics for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook download, which can be the third wave by my guest today, Steve Case, or any of Audible's 180,000 titles. That's audibletrial.com backslash kickasspolitics. Or click on the sponsor link on our webpage to download the free audiobook of your choice. And now, back to the show. We're back, and I'm talking with Steve Case, the author of Third Wave, An Entrepreneur's Vision of the Future. Well, let's talk about some of the advice that you give to startups who want to take advantage of this internet of everything in the third wave. You refer to three Ps that are the keys to success in the third wave. Partnership, policy, and perseverance. Um, first of all, let's talk about partnership. You say it's key because most third wave industries have gatekeepers. What kind of partnerships should startups be looking for in that kind of environment?
1: Well, it depends obviously what sector you're focused on. But right. if you take healthcare, uh, as an as an example, uh, if you really want to revolutionize healthcare, you kind of have to work with doctors. You kind of have to work with hospitals. You kind of have to work with the health plans, uh, and so it's not just about you know, an app you create. It's how you partner with the people that are really on the ground delivering healthcare services, paying for healthcare services, uh, and that makes it more challenging. You know, frankly, it's hard hard to break into a hospital, hard to get them to adopt your your, your technology. Uh, but I think that's what's going to be required to really have a significant impact and build a a significant business. Similarly, there's a lot of companies working. On different devices and sensors, what you know, so these internet of things or what you know, internet of everything concept. Uh, but there's some big companies like uh, GE uh, and IBM, they're very focused on the industrial internet, very focused on smart cities, um, and they're really focused on being systems integrators, partnering with lots of technologies, lots of companies, and, and connecting the dots for, for, for whole cities. And so, if you're a startup, you're probably not going to be able to convince a city to adopt your technology, but you probably can convince GE to adopt your technology as part of an overall citywide solution. So that's a case where you'll get more traction more quickly if you figure out a way to to partner. I think the startups in the third wave will need those big companies. The big companies in the third wave will need those startups. It just requires both of them to dance a little differently. And I I cite in the book, an African proverb that I think will really kind of inform the third wave, which is you want to go quickly, you can go alone, but if you want to go far, you must go together. I think that really is going to be a key dynamic in the third wave.
0: And all of this is somewhat reminiscent of the biggest merger in business history. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, the AOL Time Warner merger, which you talk about at length in this book, Uh, at the time, it seemed like it was a perfect match, match made in heaven, right. you know, internet company and a big media company that had broadband services and all that, and then it all seemed to fall apart. What went wrong there, and perhaps what are some lessons that, that can be taken from that?
1: Well, the key lesson is, I, and I cite in the book, Thomas Edison, who over a century ago said, vision without execution is hallucination. The idea of the merger of A1 Time Warner did make sense. It, it should have been the sort of the the, the dream merger because they the complementary skills and assets both companies you know kind of kind of had, but the reality is we couldn't execute against that vision, and that ultimately came down to you know people and priorities you know, instead of running it in an integrated way. Kind of, we're all in this together. You know, kind of one team. Let's take on take take on the future. It ended up being kind of different silos, different you know fiefdoms, people fighting with each other. Uh, digital music is a good example. When we launched the merger, or announced it in two thousand. This was years before Apple launched the iPod or or uh, the iTunes Store. You know, probably five years before that. Uh, and AOL and Time Warner should have been the leader. AOL was a leading internet company. Yeah. Time Warner owned the cable system. It was the largest broadband provider and also owned Warner Music, the largest music company. How can they not come together and lead the way in digital music? Well, the reality is they didn't really work together. Uh, everybody had different plans and were doing their own things kind of independently. And so what could have been a great opportunity to lead the way in digital music or lead the way in digital video or lead the way in many other sectors, you know, ended up being a kind of missed opportunity. So the lesson for me, which is uh, I obviously discussed in the book is it ultimately is, is about people. It's ultimately about, you know, culture. If you have the right team working together in the right way, I think anything is possible. If you don't, nothing's possible. And we learned that sadly with the, with that merger.
0: Yeah, and I have to imagine it was kind of heartbreaking for you looking back when you talk in the book about how you wanted to buy Google right. in the very early days. You wanted to buy Apple. You know, there were a lot of missed opportunities there that I guess were just the result of the Time Warner side just not getting it. You're yeah, not getting it, what the it, future it's, was. It's a there. mix
1: of things, and and after you know, we 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 did end up buying five percent of Google as part of a deal, and that ended up being a smart a uh, uh, thing, but. Uh, in Retrospect, it would have been better to buy all of it and and we toyed with the idea of some other you know mergers uh, acquisitions, including when Apple was still kind of struggling. Steve Jobs had just gone back in, but hadn 't really seen a resurgence yet, but there just wasn 't a lot of interest in another you know, acquisition and at the time, the perception was Apple was really just a personal computer kind of hardware company and and you know but they hadn 't really been that successful in software or services yet. Uh, and so I, I think there are a lot of missed opportunities. And again, that's it's uh it's disappointing for me. I think it's disappointing for everybody involved with AOL and, and Time Warner, but hopefully the some of the lessons you know learned from that, which I try to describe in the book, will be helpful to the next you know generation of innovators, whether they be the small companies or the large companies, trying to figure out how to kind of embrace the future. Well, the second P
0: that you talk about as one of the keys to success in the third wave might be anathema to many free market Ayn Rand type entrepreneurs out there, but you say that the third wave companies are going to have to get along with the government and accept regulation or die. Why is government relations going to be a make or break for startups?
1: Well, again, it depends what you're trying to do. And there's certainly different uh, parts of the third wave where you could attack them that don't, don't necessarily require, you know, kind of government uh, involvement. Uh, And I'm not, saying it's going to be fun having regulations are going to be fun engaging with the government i understand that libertarian anti-government aspect i understand that working with government dealing with regulations can be very frustrating and cumbersome and slow down you know entrepreneurs slow down innovation that's all true but what's also true is that we're going to have and most countries are going to have regulations around the big sectors that are up for grabs in the third wave uh, and there're going to be things for example in the food sector to make sure the the food our kids eat at school is going not going to make them sick or the drugs our parents take isn't going to kill them or that the drones flying in the sky or the autonomous driverless cars on our roads are not going to create havoc in our in our in our communities that's just the nature of the innovation that's possible in the third wave so understanding that and and saying that part of the success of of the innovators in the third wave is integrating that policy aspect into their their thinking is going to be important it's not going to be just about the software it's going to also be about understanding the you know the policy and figuring out ways to create the right kind of partnerships and the uh, people who understand that are going to be successful the people don't probably won't be and that's part of the reason i wrote the book cuz i realized that the the first wave was really made possible by those th- you know, three Ps: the the importance of partnership, the importance of a policy, the importance of perseverance. Less so in the second wave, you know, but basically because it was mostly about apps. There were overnight successes. The government generally wasn't in, involved with the you know with things like Facebook and right. and, and Twitter and and, and so forth. You know, it was a different playbook, and the playbook in the third wave is going to change. And some of those lessons from the first wave are going to be, I think, very instructive in the third wave. And, and the role of government, role of policy is certainly part of that. Right. And you
0: also say that it's a two-way street. The government is going to have to innovate itself, lest it be, quote-unquote, disrupted right. by uh, other countries like India, China, Brazil, etc. One of the things that you say is key to that is you say, aside from more H-1 visas, you propose a startup visa program. What would that entail?
1: Well, it's been out, it kicked around for a decade. It just hasn't really gotten through Congress yet. And the basic idea is if you come to the United States and you're getting a, you know, a PhD, for example, at Carnegie Mellon or Stanford or Caltech or, or wherever, uh, and you want to stay in this country, uh, you should have the right to stay in this country and the ability to stay in this country. And the reason that's important is once we, these people have these great educations, we'd rather have them be in our country creating innovative things that create the jobs and drive the, the economic growth, Don't, not giving them this great education. And then kicking sure. him out, uh, and forcing him to go to some other country uh, that essentially will end up competing with our with mm-hmm. our country. So and one example I mentioned in the book is there's a, a, a entrepreneur who graduated from Wharton, wanted to stay in the United States, and started a company, but couldn't extend his visa, so was forced to leave, you know, move back in his case to India, which is where he was from. And that company called Snapdeal now has 5,000 employees and it's worth $5 billion and it's in India. He wanted that to be in America. So the startup visa idea is, is really more how do we make sure that we win what's now a global battle for talent and people who do want to be part of... The American innovation economy are able to create the companies here that create the jobs here and drive the economic uh, growth here.
0: Well, someone needs to tell Donald Trump this, I think.
1: Well, (laughs) I I kind of stay out of the politics side, but I do recognize (laughs) immigration is super complicated and super emotional. There are many, many facets to it. But in this particular instance, once we get through the presidential election whoever is in the white house come come january i hope they do put these issues around making sure we remain the most innovative you know entrepreneurial nation first and foremost and immigration is one part that needs it needs uh, attention
0: well yeah and you also say that politicians need to distinguish between small businesses and startups why is that distinction so important
1: well, I think that folks in uh, in government, whether it's um, Sacramento or Washington D.C. or Brussels or or what have you, generally have this view that business is sort of monolithic. It's sort of like this the marketplace, uh, and the reality is there's three different aspects of the, of the business world. they all functional different. They all have different priorities. One are the small businesses that are that are basically the, the, the restaurants and dry cleaners, sort of the main street businesses, which actually are very important and in, in aggregate account for a lot of jobs, but don't account for a lot of net job growth. One restaurant mm-hmm. might open, another restaurant might, might close, but it, net, net, it doesn't generate a lot of jobs. Some of the big companies, the Fortune 500 companies, don't generate a lot of net jobs. Some are growing, some are declining. As a group, it's relatively static. The data in the Kauffman Foundation tracks, it says all the real job growth is coming from these young, high-growth startups. And so if you want to create more jobs, you want to drive more growth, you got to make it easier for more entrepreneurs in more places with, with various ideas to have a shot. And, and you need to level the playing field so everybody has a, has a shot. That's the best way to kind of move the you know, country forward.
0: Yeah. And politicians, they love to talk about small businesses. That's kind of one of those buzzwords Right. That they love to throw into speeches, but you don't hear them talking about startups and innovation quite as much.
1: No, it needs more attention. Even the presidential debates on both sides this year, there have been you know, hundreds of, dozens of debates, hundreds of questions. Very few are these issues around innovation and entrepreneurship. But I think that's uh, disappointing. Hopefully that will change as we head to November.
0: Yeah. Well, before we go, let's talk about that last P perseverance. AOL would not have been born into existence. Were it not for you and your team's perseverance, what do you have to say to those ambitious young people, those millennials who are getting ready to start up a a business of their own in the third wave here?
1: Well, obviously, anybody wants to create any business and and do something entrepreneurial, I I celebrate, I, I support. But I hope the next wave of entrepreneurs really are focused on important aspects of our lives, things we've talked about in the, the, the opportunities of the third wave, like improving education, improving healthcare, or energy, or transportation, or food, and recognize there are going to be harder problems to solve. They are going to require more perseverance. They are going to require more partnerships. They're going to require more engagement and, and policy. But they're important. They're important you know, challenges to, to to address, and I, I hope they bring a a. a, a Perspective while they're trying to build a company that's profitable, that's also a company that has impact, that has purpose. What some people call impact investing. I think that aspect's important, and hopefully we'll also figure out a way to level the playing field so everybody with ideas has has a shot, irrespective of where they happen to live or what their what their their backgrounds are. Uh, and having a more inclusive approach to entrepreneurship uh, is, is is important. Uh, but if you if you're going to attack a big problem, you you. It, it's a, you know, you're going to have to persevere. It's it's likely yeah. not going to be an overnight success, and that was certainly the lesson for us with AOL. It was yeah. it took us really ten years before we finally you know, broke through, and we stuck with it, and eventually things kind of moved in in the right direction, and we were able to become you know, the best performing stock of the 1990s. We went from a market value when we went public in 1992 to, of 70 million dollars to 160 billion dollars eight years later. So that proves wow. that if you stick with it, uh, eventually things can really take off and eventually you can build a significant, valuable, you know, enterprise that also improves the, you know, the world. That was my lesson from AOL. That was my lesson for the, in the first wave. And hopefully this book, the third wave will help inspire the next generation of <laughs> entrepreneurs to take on the next big problems in, yeah. in, in society and create the next big iconic companies uh, that, that really can, can, uh, can change the world, but they're going to only be successful in my opinion, if they, if they really embrace those, those three Ps around uh, partnership and policy and perseverance.
0: And you don't have to necessarily go to Silicon Valley anymore. You do
1: not. You do not. That's a whole <laughs> chapter called uh, Rise of the Rest. Regional entrepreneurship is really going to take off in the, in the third wave. So if you want to be in California, New York, or Massachusetts, good for you. But if you want to be in some other part of the country, indeed some other part of the world, you're going to see much more innovation uh, in those places in the third wave.
0: Good deal. Well, the book again is called Third Wave, An Entrepreneur's Vision of the Future by Steve Case. Steve, thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you. It was a lot of fun.
0: Thanks again to Steve Case for coming on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at, at Steve Case and learn more about some of the exciting new startups he's funding at revolution.com as well as some of the philanthropic work and impact investing he does at casefoundation.org. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd encourage you to read his new book, The Third Wave, An Entrepreneur's Vision of the Future. I'll include an Amazon link where you can order it in the show notes for this episode and on our website at kickasspolitics.com. Or if you'd prefer to listen to the audio version, you can download that for free through a special trial offer just for our listeners at audibletrial.com backslash kickasspolitics. Be sure to subscribe to Kickass Politics on iTunes and leave us a review while you're there. And if you really want to help out, then donate to our GoFundMe campaign at gofundme.com backslash kickasspolitics. Or click on the donate button on our website at kickasspolitics.com. Follow us on Twitter at, at KaPolitics or visit kickasspolitics on Facebook. And while you're there, recommend kick politics to your friends on your social media. And as always, I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at kickasspolitics.com. On the next podcast, I'll talk with Stephen McAndrew, head of emergency operations for the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies in Geneva, about his experience on the front line of some of the biggest disasters of the past two decades— including the super typhoon that hit the Philippines in 2014, the Ebola outbreak in Sierra Leone, and most recently confronting a very different sort of disaster as the head of emergency operations for the Syrian refugee crisis. Coming up with Stephen McAndrew on the next podcast. But for now, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass Politics. Kick-Ass Politics is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.